0: It is. Yeah, July 1st, Canada Day. Even though I'm living in the U.S., I still have to kind of celebrate it. I was born and raised in Canada for 22 years.
1: Well, they say you can take the geek out of Canada, but you can never take the Canada out of the geek. You uh, can
0: also never take the maple syrup out of the Canadian.
1: Well, yeah, there you go. Um, now, <laughs> <laughs> they're speaking to the primarily geeky, technology-leaning uh, audience, what is Canada Day? Uh, uh, is it a day that you're supposed to go out to Tim Hortons? Should you fry Canadian every bacon? every day. <laughs> Should you fry Canadian bacon in the morning? I don't know. I don't know what it is. And that's me speaking honestly. And I, I kind of feel ashamed because I do like to think of myself as a little bit of a history buff at least. Um, so like, I, and I know you're not a historian, but who cares? Like what, as far as you understand or you've been taught, what is Canada Day?
0: It's basically Canada's birthday. Oh. so That's the, as easy as I can put it.
1: Okay, so kind of yeah. like Independence Day, but there wasn't like all the war y stuff around it.
0: Yeah, I think we have one of those days like September 11th, I think, in Canada, or November 11th, something like that. Is uh, what's it called? I don't know. There's some day that we celebrate the war, I think World War I coming to an end or something like that. Oh, but, Armistice, um, yeah, that'd be November 11th. Yeah. November 11th. Yeah, I always get that mixed up with September 11th for obvious reasons. Um, but yes, Canada, or July 1st is basically Canada's birthday. Oh, well, that's cool. So,
1: Anyway, moving moving along to the show, uh, which obviously we're recording a little bit earlier than usual due to some just busyness and schedule between the two of us. Um, So we decided this week to do a theme-based show. We've been talking about doing a theme-based show for a little little while um, and just kind of pitching back and forth some ideas. And then you showed me this email you got, Howard.
0: I did, yeah. We received an email. Actually, I received an email from a listener, or it might not even be someone who listens to the podcast, but he just submitted it through my website, iceflowstudios.com. And he sent us this email, which we'll read in a few minutes after we go through the whole introduction. Mm -hmm. And we thought it would be a good idea. Well, first I thought it would be a good idea to just kind of answer it at the end of one of our podcasts, just like we normally answer some questions. But Nathaniel had the even better idea to turn it into a whole show and kind of branch off of it. And we did a themed-based podcast last month, I think it was. I don't remember what that was, so fill, fill me in if you remember uh, 10 it, Steps to
1: Becoming a Better Designer, if I recall that correctly. That was the
0: one, 10 Steps to Becoming a Better Designer, and that did very well. So we kind of made it a goal to do at least one of these themed-based show was every single month. And honestly, this week there hasn't been much news. I mean, iTunes or sorry, Apple Music came out this week. Well, it sort of came out. It's been a pretty botched launch and it's eh, whatever. But other than that, there hasn't been much. So we decided to kind of go with one theme and kind of go with this question and branch off of it and I think it's going to be a pretty good show.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be really cool. So, with that in mind, it's episode 21 of the we Geeks podcast. I'm Nathaniel Dodson. He's Howard Pinsky. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at tutvid, that's T-U-T-V-I-D, and he is at Ice Flow Studios, and it's spelled just like it sounds. How can the people follow us, Howard? uh, How can the people follow the podcast, I guess I should say?
0: The main place you can follow us is on soundcloud and that's mainly because it's the easiest url for me to say soundcloud.com slash we geeks you can listen follow and comment along with the podcast you can comment in line while we're talking Yeah, it's very cool. leave us comments let us know actually someone left a comment the other day on the pot on our last episode and i was able to go in there just reply directly and he was able to see it which is super cool you can also subscribe on itunes we don't have a fancy URL for that, but if you do go to SoundCloud, there is a link to iTunes over there, and we're on Stitcher Radio. I don't know the URL, but we're there, and you can, if you really love our show, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash WeGeeks, and every single week, we do shout out our amazing supporters who helps make this podcast possible, and this week, I want to give a big shout out to Michael Williamson, Craig Jones, Jordan Younts. I think Genevieve Steve Johns and Caleb surface and if you do love our show again head over to patreon.com slash we geeks and throw us a dollar three dollars ten thousand dollars every month and we'll keep doing this thing
1: yeah no that's awesome and yeah and everything seems to be uh, doing really well Caleb actually just started following me on snapchat today Oh, recall, there you go. I, believe, I haven't gotten I believe, into
0: Snapchat. I know you're big into it, but I, I can't do it.
1: Well, I wouldn't say I'm big into it, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more consistent with it. It's fun. It's more fun than anything. Just like little mm. bits and pieces of my day that, that I remember to share, I, I try to throw up there, so it's kind of cool. Um, Yeah, and then also over on tutvid.com, tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 21, the number 21 that is. Uh, I'll have a a write-up. I haven't even started writing it. Usually I have some or a lot of the write-up done before we even start recording. I don't really have much of a write-up because I don't really know where the show is going to go. And I guess... To keep you guys from waiting any longer, Uh, the show is essentially going to be about starting your design business and and what you need to know. uh, Some things you should take into consideration getting in and and kind of the freelancing hustle, if you will. Uh, We're going to try to cover pretty much everything from leaving a full time job, which is kind of the position that our writers in Howard will read the question in a moment. Uh, So leaving a full time job and get striking out on your own, or maybe you're a student, maybe you're in high school. Um, You know, all that kind of stuff that you would potentially be interested in getting out there and seeing if you can crack away and make something work of it. And we're going to cover so much ground today. I have no idea how long this podcast is going to be. We're going to try to keep it at reasonable length, Uh, but there's a lot that we're going to go over. And I think a lot of good stuff. I think you guys are really, really going to like the stuff uh, that we bring today.
0: I think so and we have a ton of questions that we've kind of plotted out and a lot of these questions are questions that we have received over the last eight years we've been doing our YouTube and freelance and entrepreneurial stuff and I mean we both have very different experience in all this stuff but in a lot of ways we have some of the same experiences so we might have different opinions we might have some of the same opinions and hopefully it just helps out. So. It all stems from the question I'm about to read. And actually, I guess this guy, his name is Paul. He is a podcast listener of us. Um, I completely forgot the question a few minutes ago. So he says, Hello, Howard and Nathaniel. First, I love the podcast. I commute to work daily for an hour every day, and I have been binge listening for the past two weeks. The podcast is a great way to keep up with what's going on in the digital design world. I especially like the bit at the start of the podcast where you guys are just chatting. I am currently in... I am currently an electrical engineer doing well for myself and earning decent money i'm 32 years old and earning double the average however i love graphic design especially photoshop compositions what advice would you give to someone looking to get into graphic design as a subline or sideline i should say does doing it for a job under or under contract take away from the fun should i stick to my day job and keep it as a hobby should i go with my heart or go for the money cheers guys keep up the great work paul
1: paul and since it's canada day we'll just call him paul bunyan although paul bunyan's american we'll just say canadian paul
0: <laughs> there he, i'm sure he's he said cheers so maybe he's in the uk but let's he that's close enough to canada so he is canadian today yeah exactly so i think what we what we should do is kind of give our brief answer as to what this guy should do or paul should do um, I'll go first, and then you'll kind of jump in, and then we'll go through this massive list of things that all relate to this. So I wish I had more information on Paul, but I guess it allows me to kind of give both sides of the story. He mentions he's an electrical engineer, and he's 32 years old, and he's he seems to be doing very well. He's earning double the average. I don't, I don't know where he's based. Let's assume he's in the United States. So I would say he's earning probably close to $100,000, maybe a little bit more, I'm not sure. It's difficult because he wants to switch over to graphic design. He wants to know if he wants to do it for a living. And there's a lot of factors, I think, that goes into the decision. Are you, Paul, a 32-year-old living at home with your parents? Or maybe like in a studio apartment with very little bills to pay? Do you have money saved up in the bank account that you can safely put aside so you can kind of live your dream and become a graphic designer? Or... Do you, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have a mortgage to pay? If if that's the case, if you're married with kids, with a mortgage, with not a lot of savings, I would say stick to electrical engineering. Maybe do a little bit of graphic design work on the side, maybe a little bit of contracting work here and there, but in that case, your family is by far the most important thing you need to do. You have to support your family. Um, you may want to become a graphic designer or a photo composition person, whatever you call it, um, photo editor. But I think realistically, in that case, you have to really think of your family and support them. Now in the first situation, if you are a 32 year old, two year old with very little bills to pay, maybe you're living with a roommate or maybe you have a ton of money saved up, I would say kind of lean towards go with your heart and try to become a graphic designer. However, That doesn't mean you should walk into your boss's office and just throw a piece of paper at him and walk out and never come back again. I think, especially with graphic design and the design industry, and we'll get into a lot of this in a few minutes, it's very difficult to break into. So it has to be gradual. I would say, again, start very small, do a little bit of work here and there, build up a portfolio, and we'll get into that shortly. And then when you feel that you're earning a little bit of money, maybe not a living yet, but a little bit of money and you have a presence online, that's when you can pull the trigger and quit your day job even though it seems like you're getting paid very well. If that's what you want to do and you're financially secure, in that case you can kind of start moving on. But, you know, not knowing much about you, it's hard to really say, but those that's kind of my beginning. Those are my first thoughts.
1: Yeah, I I would I would say that I agree to a certain extent with some of what you say, um, Paul, Canadian Paul. Um, here's what I would say. My mind is drawing a blank. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm always inclined to drop what seems to be the practically good decision. That being. I'm making a lot of money doing this job that I'm not really enjoying for something that I'm passionate about. Because there's a couple things that money can't buy. One of them's time and the other one is passion. Uh, You can't buy them. You can't fake them. You can't substitute them with anything else. So uh, if you're willing to get into graphic design and you're willing to go all out, then I would say yes. And that's absolutely disregarding everything else in your life, including wife, kids, the whole nine yards. Now, that being said, if you have electrical engineering as a plan B, you will fail, Paul you will fail because you're not focusing enough on plan A, that being the graphic design. If you're not hungry enough, you know, they talk about athletes coming out of these ghetto and, and, you know, quote unquote, underprivileged neighborhoods and and all of these incredible athletes that come out of these neighborhoods. And one theory why these places turn out the kind of athletes they do is because the kids have no other option. They know there's, or they, they they can't see any other way out, so they devote themselves incredibly Um, to working at getting out of that neighborhood and this is the way they know how or the way that they've seen other people do it. So that's first and foremost. you got to have plan A and only plan A if you want to go in and do it. Um, So that being said, if you don't have kind of the coyunes, if you will, to drop your job and dive into graphic design. Maybe is graphic design really what you want to do or, I mean, because you only talk about Photoshop compo- uh, compositions, you know, maybe dealing with a client full time is going to be something you don't really enjoy at all and you do sort of say, uh, does doing it for a job under or under contract take away from the fun? I mean, yeah, a little bit because you can't just do the bit you like and throw away a project if you don't like the way it's going. You have to see a project through. Um, but there is the option of being a graphic designer and creating graphics and selling them, which is a whole different ball game. either stock graphics or some sort of PSDs that you're selling for a little bit of a higher price. And if you do that well, I mean, you can make some decent money doing that as well and you don't have to deal with that kind of pain in the neck client yet you can still be doing what you love, and it's a little bit of a passive income. So again, if you do have a wife or kids, you'll have time that you can spend with them where you're not just like, oh, a client called, it's 11.30 at night. I need to get this file pushed out for them. You're just not gonna have to worry about that. No, it can wait till tomorrow because I just sold this. Um, so, you know, in an ideal world, I would say stick with your heart. The money will come, you know what I mean? Any, any kind of hard times money-wise will pass. If you have money put away from making double the average wage, uh, that's just you know cheddar. You know what I mean. That's just icing on the cake. I would say go for it. Um, spend some of that money, however, finding out just how good you are. Hire somebody to, to honestly and harshly critique the work you have, because if your work sucks, it doesn't matter. And all the stuff we talk about, and we're going to talk about quality of work in what we go over today. But if your stuff stinks, it doesn't matter how much you put yourself out there, or how much you advertise. You're not gonna make the money you think you should make. Um, You're not gonna get the clients you think you should get. It's just, I mean, it's that plain and simple. The work has to be there first and foremost. Um, The work and the passion kind of have to be there, but it sounds like you've got the passion. So I would say, go with your heart. Don't go with the money. Um, But, you know, I mean, yeah, like Howard said, if you have a wife and kids, it's definitely something to take into consideration. But I still, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, Um, but yeah, I, I would say go with your heart. Um, if you absolutely must stick with electrical engineering um, but I mean I'm, I'm, I'm a Photoshop guy so I'm not going to say yeah install another breaker box or you know draw up another schematic for that you know strip mall that you're building um, you know what I mean I, I'd rather be laying stuff out in Photoshop I'd rather be creating you know website experiences I would rather be retouching commercial portraits uh, all that stuff so yeah I mean that's kind of that, that that's my feeling about it um, but so, so, now that we've given kind of uh, a little bit of an answer to you, Paul, your email has inspired us to create this entire episode, coaxing people and guiding them through making a break from a current job or just taking their freelancing clout to sort of the next level. Um, and, you know, we're basically just going to, you know, hammer away at it. And I, we're going to focus first on not really getting out and freelancing, but rather looking for a design job. Um, and what they would be looking for so Howard I mean I've never I've never held down an official quote unquote design job or new media position at all I've always worked for myself The only job I've ever had with somebody else uh, was landscaping and cutting grass and that has absolutely nothing to do with uh, you know Photoshop uh, so talk I mean talk to me a little bit about what you found that prospective employers are looking for. Um, resumes, I guess we should start with by talking about resumes, college degrees all that junk
0: yeah so let's talk a little bit about me for a second so when I started Oh, it was 2006, 2007, I started on YouTube. And back then, it really wasn't a job. Until that time, I just got out of college. I didn't really have... I was a hockey referee for a little bit. Of course, stereotypical Canadian. Mm-hmm. I was a hockey referee. Um, but a few years after I started YouTube, in around 2008, that was my job. And I was making a pretty decent living. So I was kind of doing my own thing. And then in 2014, I think, full screen contacted me to come aboard there so that was my first I would say quote-unquote real job working for an actual employer before that it was I was kind of on my own doing my own thing making my own schedule so transitioning to an actual job was a little bit difficult now in terms of what they were looking for what I'm finding not just with what full screen was kind of looking for but what a lot of companies are looking for now is mostly experience and what you can bring to the table. They don't really care about what what school you went to or what courses you studied because honestly, and I was very honest with full screen at the time, I never finished college. I went to two different colleges, but I never finished because of personal reasons. And I was, you know, very clear, and they kind of they didn't say I don't really care, but they made the point to let me know that they love my ideas that I've already submitted to them, and they love my experience on YouTube and this, that, and the other thing. And that kind of trumps my college experience. And the same thing with like a company like Blizzard. I was at a, a conference, BlizzCon, a few years ago, and someone straight up asked one of the artists, what kind of education do I need? And they said they would much rather hire somebody with an amazing portfolio that has a dedication and passion for art and gaming over somebody who has 17 PhDs with an okay portfolio and doesn't really care about gaming. And that wasn't, that hasn't always been the case. A lot of times, you know, many, many years ago, you would have to have a master's or you would have to have a bachelor's in design, but it's kind of shifting away from that. So if you have proper training outside of school or you're just brilliant and you have amazing ideas, there's a good chance they'll look at you over somebody with a master's or a PhD. Now, in terms of a resume, I threw everything on there. I don't know if I threw my hockey refereeing on there, but any company I did contracting work, whether it's Adobe or Envato or what other companies, uh, Linda, I think I did something for, I put all of that stuff on there, even if it had nothing to do with the job I was trying to apply for at Fullscreen, which a lot of it didn't, it's still experience. It's still something they-
1: You had worked at the Apple stores or an Apple store as well, correct? I did.
0: I did work at Apple for a few years. I put that on there as well because even though, again, it's not directly related to the marketing position that I'm in right now at Fullscreen, it's still, well, Apple is a major company, so it still looks good, but it still shows that I can hold down a job for about two years. It still shows all the duties that I had on a day-to-day basis, and employers love this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're sort of showing some depth. Do you know what I right. mean? I mean, so so I've seen people do things like put their hobbies on their resume. Why, why does an employer care if you're into cycling and rock climbing? Well, in the grand scheme of things, they don't, but when they're looking at your resume, they, they start to place you as as more than just a face looking at them off of this page, right? You become more of a person like, oh, okay, Bob here likes or Paul here likes cycling and he does rock climbing and he goes fishing, you know, out west twice a year. You know what I mean? You know, just interesting little things that make you, what makes you not the ideal candidate for X, Y, or Z position, but what makes you an interesting person? That's the kind of stuff that's gonna get you a job. When you're cruising through LinkedIn looking for a job and somebody says, oh, you need uh, a BS degree uh, and three years of experience in this position, so what? So what? Apply to the job. If you have a great body of work and you write well, write an email, make a pitch, talk for yourself, Nobody talks. Nobody's willing to sit down and write email. Well, 99.999% of people aren't, I should say. They're, you know, they're hoping that jobs come to them. If you go out and you pound the pavement and you look for a job that way, you're going to eventually get a job. The problem is most people don't try hard enough. They think they try hard enough, but they don't. And if it's not working, you're probably not trying hard enough. Either that or your work is, is crap. And that brings us back to what we talked about, you know, just a brief moment ago about you need to have good work. So, you know, should you include something like your electrical engineering on your resume? I would say heck yeah. I would absolutely put something like that on there. If you babysat your neighbor's second cousin's kids, I would put something like that on a resume. Again, anything that's gonna add depth, were you the standout all-star for your little league team? throw that on there. It's pedigree. It's just something else. You know, what if your your potential future boss is a huge Boston Red Sox fan and he loves baseball and, you know, so so when he sees it on your resume, he has you in for an interview, be like, oh, it looks like you're an all-star. What position did you play? What did, What this? What that? And all of a sudden, you have this friendly conversation happen. You could get the job just based on something like that for crying out loud. Uh, you know what cities have you traveled to? What does that have to do with my job? Nothing. But it 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 shows that you're cultured. It shows that you've done. You're not a face on a piece of paper. You're not a lifeless resume. You're adding depth. Stop trying to add width and say, oh, I can do InDesign, Illustrator, Photoshop, and Dreamweaver. You know what I mean? Instead, just say, look, I kill it. With Photoshop and Illustrator, but guess what? I'm an interesting person. I'm somebody who has great ideas, and and look at my resume. Look at this stuff that I'm talking about. So that's you know that that's the way I feel about resumes, college degrees, uh, and applying to jobs. Ignore the parameters. So what about what they're asking for? That, but they haven't met you yet.
0: Yeah, and I know so many companies that they you know they, they kind of have to put on their LinkedIn job description or whatever, wherever the job description is going to go, they kind of have to put, you know, we're looking, we would prefer a master's. A lot of companies now are putting the word recommended. It's recommended you have a master's degree, but in reality, if you have the skills they're looking for, and if you're a really interesting person, like you said, Nathaniel, they're going to look at you a little bit more than someone who, definitely has a master's degree, but might be a very introverted person and kind of doesn't have the skills that they're looking for. Right. And
1: most college today is BS. I mean, let's be That's honest. And, and, and we're not and,
0: talking about bachelor's of right. science.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and and that even goes for stuff like a lot of master's and even some doctorate degrees. Uh, a lot of it is is a, a big ball of Bullcrap that you're being sold. Um, So, you know, if you have experience and you're great at it, some of the most successful people in the world, Zuckerberg dropped out of Harvard and he started Facebook. And now look at the moves that he's making and the changes that he is making. uh, You know, in in the online industry, the companies that he's buying up. Uh, Facebook is going to be huge moving forward, not just for Facebook, but for a lot of the child technologies and child companies and networks that it's snapping up, looking for the next big thing. So. I would say if you put together a resume like that, there I would literally have zero expectation on the kind of job you could get. It could be anything from an entry-level designer to somebody that is running the show at a company. Uh, again. Depending on how good your work is and how well you sell yourself, you go out and say, Look, hire me because I'm good and you need me. You know? You could wait till the next guy comes along. And what was it, Dan Marino, I think it was, that got drafted 32nd in the NFL in the draft, and he said, I'm gonna make every one of these teams pay that passed on me and he's one of the top five quarterbacks that's ever played Amer- American football, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, <laughs> so you know, to have that kind of attitude where you like, look, I know I'm good and I'm gonna be great for you. Hire me. It's a people. Yeah, it's I, a it's a person to person interaction. Convince them. I totally agree. Right. Yeah. So. Um,
0: so, the next thing is, what kind of position should I expect to land? And I hear this all the time. Uh, companies offer a ton of different positions in different fields. And if you're looking to switch from electrical engineering to some sort of a graphic design job, you. To an extent, you have to kind of figure out what exactly you want to do. Like is it graphic design, is it photo composition, is it photo editing, is it illustration? So it's kind of good to have kind of your eyes on a certain position, but at the same time, you'll sometimes look at a company and figure out, you know, they don't have exactly that position, but they have this other position that's kind of in the same ballpark or maybe even a little bit outside of the ballpark. It's kind of good to explore all your options, and which is why, you know, we'll get to it later. You shouldn't really focus on just photo composition. You should kind of do a little bit of graphic design here and there, and maybe a little bit of web design. That way, when you are applying for a job, or even if you're doing work for a client, and they say, you know, we love the photo compositions, but can you now turn all this stuff into a website for me? Having those skills will definitely help not only looking for a job, but also doing a little bit of client work here and there.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I I have nothing really to add to that. Like I said, education for the most part is BS. So I say shoot for the best position you can get um, and yeah, it doesn't have to be a principal graphic designer. You could end up doing something where you're doing primarily web graphics. You could end up somewhere where you're doing print graphics all the time or you might end up like where you're working, you know, doing stuff with full screen where it's, you know, essentially you're working with online content delivery systems and how to, you know, efficiently get people to interact and create and, 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 and sell this stuff to advertisers, right? I mean, isn't that the, the crux of what full screen is as a network?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, five years ago, if you told me I'd be a marketing manager at a multimillion dollar company, I would probably laugh in your face because I was a graphic designer teaching Photoshop on YouTube. I would have never thought I would be doing something like this but over the years I was working with Fullscreen not as an employer but as a YouTube partner and I was giving them ideas here and there you know I I think you should do this in your network or I should think you should do this because it'll benefit YouTubers in this way and you'll get this sort of return on it and it got to the point where I was submitting all these ideas and to, to Fullscreen and they were like you're submitting all this stuff to us and we're actually implementing some of this stuff why did not you just come work for us here's a position apply to it it might not be exactly what you want to do or what you're doing now but it's a job and you'll probably have fun with it and it's it's been about a year and a half I've been at full screen and it's you know I'm doing things that I've never certainly I wasn't trained to do but you know I, I kind of built up not necessarily a portfolio of that stuff but submitting all this stuff to them was kind of a portfolio showing them my ideas here and there
1: yeah so Where should Paul look for a job then, knowing that he's keeping his options open as far as positions, and he's going to make an interesting resume that leads to a website uh, full of beautiful work? Where should Paul look for a job?
0: It's it's very difficult to answer this question because, of course, there are places like LinkedIn and there are places like Monster.com that have countless number of job listings which sometimes makes it very difficult to actually look through but let's take me for example for a second I wasn't necessarily actively looking for a job at fullscreen I was very happily employed or self-employed I should say teaching Photoshop on YouTube but at the same time I was also proactively making myself known even though again I wasn't looking for employment I was just putting myself out there, I had these ideas built up in my head, so I gave them away. You know, Of course, I would have liked to have gotten paid for some of that stuff, and in the end, I did. But I think these days, putting yourself out there is one of the biggest things you can possibly do. Building a really strong portfolio, whether it be websites like Dribbble or Behance or something like that, and if your content is good enough, you will be seen. And a lot of these places like Behance and Dribbble they have built-in marketplaces where companies like Apple and Microsoft and maybe even Fullscreen are actively browsing content. And if they see something they like, they will contact those artists and say, listen, we love your stuff. You kind of do what we need. Let's talk. Um, but if you're, if you're not at that level yet, uh, I mean, LinkedIn is a, is a great website. To kind of start building connections and you might already have connections with some of the people you work for at your electrical engineering job but yeah i would say just my my honest opinion just start putting yourself out there and things will start to happen
1: yeah with um with regard to freelance stuff, we're going to talk about some of the very active and open ways you can pursue individual jobs and individual clients. When you're looking for more of an institution job, I, I don't know that it's more difficult. It's a little bit more limited, I guess, um, and it really depends on where you live. I mean, if you live you know, three hours outside of Bismarck, North Dakota, um, it's it's probably going to be more difficult to find a great design agency than if you live in midtown Manhattan, New York City. So that's the first thing to think about. But you know, success, as Gary Vaynerchuk would say, success does not have a zip code. So it doesn't mean you can't be successful where you are. You may need to adjust. Maybe freelancing is more of your thing. But here's what I would do. This is what I would do. And again, I've never, this is never having looked for uh, an institution type job like this before in my life uh, Craigslist, monster.com, LinkedIn. I would hit those places online. Uh, passively, yes, like Howard said, if you can get your stuff out there on Behance, Dribbble, stuff like that, and make it clear that, hey, I would love a job, I would start writing blog posts a couple a month. That's good. That's always good either for freelancing or these kind of job searches. Um, again, that, that, that all that stuff is more passive you're just putting stuff out like Howard's is putting stuff out there and waiting for something to happen the other thing that I would do is find the top 100 companies in your area or top 50 companies in your area and just write them emails every week if you have to, hey Do you have a graphic design position? Social media manager? Do you have a website? Something I can do, Um, you know, these are my skills, this is my resume, I would love it if you would take a look at it and get back to me. Um, And and, you know, who's to say that you need to limit yourself to working directly for a creative agency? There's a lot of great artists who work in-house as designers at a specific company, right? Like Facebook's logo, I just saw something today about Facebook's logo is not created by a design agency, but rather, as you may well imagine, Facebook has a team of in-house editors, graphic editors, graphic designers, That's who created Facebook's new logo. So why can't you become the part or that team for a company? You know, there might be a legal office in town that needs a a continual website update and management, social media, graphics, you know, some photos taken here and there. Um, Not necessarily anything crazy professional, but just somebody who can handle a camera and then take the stuff into Photoshop and clean it up. Stuff like that. Um, again, like Howard said, you might not even be looking for the right job, and the job might kind of pop out of left field at you a little bit. But that's what I would do as far as actually actively looking for a job. So,
0: Yeah, and you bring up a good point, which I completely missed. A lot of jobs you might find locally. It might not be your ideal job, but I mean, maybe even the company you work for now, the, the electrical engineering company, maybe they have a design job, or maybe they're looking for a new website, or some photo composition work and maybe you can start there. But other than that, you know, walk down the street or just look, I would say look in your phone book, but I don't know if those exist anymore. Um, Look in your area. I guarantee you'll find something. And a lot of the times, local jobs who are looking for graphic designers or web designers don't necessarily have the conditions that a company like Adobe or Microsoft or Apple has. They might not be looking for a bachelor's degree or a designer that's going to change the way the world looks at their company they may just be looking for someone to create a flyer here and there
1: yeah so talking about money you're making double the average salary uh should you expect to make similar salary as your last career i mean what do you think howard uh
0: i think in paul's situation realistically speaking again assuming he's making about a hundred thousand dollars per year maybe a little bit more i would say realistically no you probably, if you're getting into a design job, you're probably not gonna come even close to that. I think unless you're working for a company like Apple or Microsoft, you're probably looking at around 50 to $65,000 for an entry level design job, especially considering you probably don't have much experience as a designer. So you should definitely take that in, into consideration that if you do drastically shift your fields, you may end up taking a pay cut. Now my example, I actually got bumped up because I was just working for myself. And now all of a sudden I was working for an actual company, which is, you know, a pretty decently sized company. I actually got a nice pay pay bump, but you're going kind of backwards. You're going from a very well-established position to a new position that you may not have much experience in. So don't expect the money to necessarily be there. But like Nathaniel was saying at the beginning of the show, if your heart is in it, you really shouldn't pay too much attention to the money at first.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it, you're not going to make that much as a designer in an in, in an institutional design firm. In all likelihood, most of them don't pay very much. It's just it just is. It, it's the way it is. Uh, which is why I would maybe I'm uh, uh, revealing the lead a bit a little bit too much or a little too early on. But I would say go freelance all the way, bypass all this nonsense, looking for an official job that's my personal feelings about it excuse me um so no, I would say you're probably not going to make equal salary. In fact, one of my uncles went to school for advertising and graphics. He got one job in New York City, um, and he hated it so much that he hated how much they paid him. He quit, and he became a plumber. So he sort of went the opposite direction as you, where he's, you know, he ends up being sort of this plumbing engineer, uh, whereas you're more of the electrical engineer uh, looking to get into design. So that's that. I mean, I, maybe his heart wasn't in it, but you know, a lot of these jobs, you're going to get kind of the crap work at not very much money. And... You know, it, it's the way it is. So, I, I mean, my answer to this is should I expect to make an equal salary? Uh, if you're if you're willing to settle for a design firm job, yes. If you're willing to go out and start your own design firm, you could be making millions, depending, again, on how hard you work and how smart you work um, and how good you are and, and the team of people that you begin to assemble around yourself when you're ready to do that. But that's uh, another topic for another day.
0: Yeah, but that also brings up the big question. If you are looking to work for an actual company, there's a much bigger question you're going to have to come face to face with. And I came face to face with this question the very first time I spoke to, well, not the first time I spoke to Fullscreen, but the first, Fullscreen was my first real job. And they've straight up asked me on this pre-employment questionnaire, what are you looking for in terms of salary? And that was terrifying because I've never had someone ask me that before, and it's something that I had to really think about and I didn't really know how to answer that I actually ended up putting less than what they ended up offering me which is kind of nice that they gave me a little bit extra but there's a lot of factors that go into that but there are a lot of websites like glassfloor.com where you can look up positions in your area or in different states and of different levels and you can see what the average pay is so that's a good place to start now of course if you're an electrical engineer making let's say hundred thousand dollars per year and you apply to be a graphic designer at a local design agency or a local whatever it might be asking for hundred thousand dollars a year is probably not going to fly and they might just laugh at you um but i would i would say ask a little bit more than what the average is. That way they kind of bump it down a little bit and you start the negotiation process.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I would tend to agree. So that's kind of handling and talking about looking for a quote unquote proper job. The stuff I'm interested in, the way that I've always kind of approached things generally my family has. Do I sound crazy? I feel like I sound crazy because I always like, I'm always going on like this independent rant, right? Like I'm always just going off. Uh, anyway, so uh, the entrepreneurial spirit, I think this is incredibly important. And Paul, I don't know if you're working as an electrical engineer, uh, working for yourself. I know you say you're doing well for yourself, but that's just kind of a common term for uh, making a, you know enough money to comfortably live on. Um, the entrepreneurial spirit is the spirit that's willing to work 20 hours a day instead of eight hours a day if need be to make it work. It's the, it's the spirit that is willing to take the risk of barely scraping by one month um, for, the, for the dream that someday you're going to be making more money than you know what to do with. And you'll, you'll, you'll be able to work four hours a week if you want. Um, so I, I think the entrepreneurial spirit, like I said when I answered your initial question, this is plan A and there is no plan B. I think that is so important. The idea that I'm not going to clock out of work at five o'clock because it's five o'clock. I'm going to work until midnight if I have to. I'm going to work until 3 in the morning if I have to. And then I'm going to get up at 7.30 tomorrow morning. I'm going to do it all over again because this is my business. And I'm going to turn this into something incredible. I am going to spend 90% of my time as a designer marketing myself. Not designing stuff, but marketing myself, chasing jobs, chasing, you know, big clients, chasing what it is that I really want to do. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to spend the time to write the emails, to get online, to write the blog posts, to build a newsletter, to send a newsletter out to people. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Am I willing to do all these things, all this legwork, and there's no way around it? You can't automate this stuff. You can't set up, you know, automatic email or you know, every day to spam people. It's spam, right? We hate spam. That's not work. So the entrepreneurial spirit is I'm going to work. I'm going to genuinely work blood, sweat, and tears for hours and hours and hours to make this happen. If you don't have that, if you balk at that, if you blink at that, you're probably not cut out for it.
0: Yeah, and you're definitely gonna to have to work all day, every day. Say goodbye to your weekends, say goodbye to a lot of the activities you do with your friends or your family. If you really want to make something of your freelance career, you're gonna to have to work your butt off. And honestly, I love doing it. You know, right now I love working full for, force full for, for full screen, don't get me wrong, but I just I loved being able to work for myself, make my own schedule and just do my own thing. However, that required me to work all day, every day. And it's just it's just something you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to put yourself out there. You're gonna have to work constantly. But I think it's definitely a re- rewarding thing. Um, but you know, everyone's different. Some people like working for a company and going to work at nine o'clock in the morning, clocking out at five, and then doing their own thing on nights and weekends. But there are some people who, Love working for themselves, making their own schedule, but you know, that comes at a cost sometimes.
1: Yeah, no, I think I would say most of the time it comes at a cost, and I think that mm-hmm. that. The, those two types of people that you just listed, those are people with entrepreneurial spirit versus people without entrepreneurial spirit. It's not saying that if you don't have entrepreneurial spirit, you're a fundamentally flawed person. I don't think that at all. I just think some people have it and some people don't. Do you have that killer instinct? Are you willing to sell yourself? Are you willing to sell that job? Are you willing to let people know, yes, I am this good? Or are you going to be passive and sit back and say, well, you know, I kind of, I hope you like it. I hope that you. I hope that you're going to do this. I hope, that I hope, I hope, I hope. Well, you know, I mean, eventually hopes and dreams have to start becoming realities and that requires you to get up and go. So how important is education to this design industry, the freelance design industry? Howard, why don't you take this question? Because I think everybody knows what I'm going to say. I I think it's bull crap, but go ahead. I
0: I completely agree. I mean, I kind of touched on this earlier. I did go to college. I started the first college i went to was uh, for fine art because that was the first step into a much bigger process and then i switched over to a 3d animation course because that was i was set on becoming a 3d animation and des- anim- animator and designer um and then i dropped out for personal reasons but obviously i didn't really need much of it i mean i've, I've been teaching on youtube photoshop for many many years never actually took a class learning photoshop well i did but I pretty much taught the class. Um, but, and now I'm teaching for officially for Adobe and I've been recognized by many blogs and many companies and you know, I do a little bit of design work for full screen, not much, but I have no education behind that. All, all the, all of the experience I have with Photoshop has either been self-taught or learning from tutorials and online services like Linda, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Now, in terms of now, that's, of course, talking about the skills that education gives you in terms of the actual degrees. Again, a lot of companies are switching over to the skills before degrees mindset. You know, companies like, I mean, Apple's kind of on the fence because they're a very big company, but Blizzard or in my case, Fullscreen or I don't know, there are probably many other companies. I and really think, company-
1: I would say virtually any company if you make a good right, enough pitch. Saying, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like if, if if your pitch is strong and your design is great and your resume is cool and, and you're a, a great person to deal with and you've got depth, you make yourself a person. Remember, companies are in the in the business of acquiring talent. They want the best team that they can Build that they can assemble. They want a well-rounded team. So if you say, "Hey, look, Apple, I'm this beautiful marble. I don't have this bachelor, this bachelor degree, saying that I'm a beautiful marble." But just look at me. Look at what I have to offer, and take that. Um, you know, so that, that's I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. I
0: just... <laughs> no, but I totally agree. You know, I'm 28 years old right now, so I, I have a lot of friends on Facebook who are also 28 years old, and they're just now starting. Their master's program. And I'm sitting here thinking, what are you doing? You're going to be 30, 32 years old by the time you finish school and you may or may not land a decent paying job. And I'm sitting here, I'm, you know, I've already been at full screen for almost two years, which is a very good paying job. I've been running my own business before that. Is education really that necessary? I mean, it's, of course, if you want to be a doctor, yes, you probably need education.
1: Yeah, but we're not That's curing answer though.
0: We're, we're definitely not. Um, but for a for a career that requires skills like design or marketing or things like that you probably don't need to spend i mean how how they're 28 so they got into college probably 18 they've been at they've been at school or at least like higher education for at least 10 years now that is that's insane
1: yeah it's crazy.
0: And I can't even imagine the amount of debt they collected, but you know, that's a whole other right. story. And,
1: and a job is not guaranteed you at the end of that either. Exactly. And, and, and I think mentality is such a big part of this whole equation that remember, if your first mentality is I'm going to go to school to have somebody show me how to do all of this stuff first and foremost, I really start to question oh, – oh, I'm sorry. I can understand most people making that choice, but if in going through school it never strikes you about how shallow school is, about how little you're actually learning – um, about how much more there is out there. Um, and the ability to just say, look, I don't care if this is what status quo says I should do. This is what everyone's telling me I have to do. and I'm generously using air quotes here. Um, if you don't have the guts and the fortitude and the foresight to see that, I mean, I, I, I do I mean a small part of me does question the amount of, of real entrepreneurial spirit, gut instinct, um, and everything that kind of goes into that that you have that's not to say that you shouldn't go out and start your own business I mean cr- you know the first the first step to correcting a problem is acknowledging that you have one um, but the time to change is now and be- before you accrue more student debt before you go and commit to that college and I know it's like you, you sit there as a high schooler for instance I'm gonna talk to all you high schoolers listen to this podcast for a second you're sitting there everyone in your life is telling you you need to go to college university whatever or, and, and if you don't go you're looking at this great big abyss of what what. what the heck am I gonna do with Ness? Uh, Okay, are you looking at college as something that you're going to to please all these people in your life and to fill four years of your life to figure out what you're going to do? That's about the biggest load of horse crap that I've ever heard. Not that that's not actually what's going through your mind, but that's the worst. Those are the two worst reasons, well, maybe not the two worst, but among the two worst reasons to go to college and spend all that money, accrue all that student loan debt, and waste four years. You could go out and get an internship for a couple years, be making a little bit of money, and then boom. either. start your own firm or get a good job two years out of an internship, you haven't accrued any student loan debt, and you've built a ton more experience that you would have ever learned going to college. Of course, going to college, you have the opportunity to potentially bump into somebody who's going to be a future millionaire or billionaire, but the likelihood of that happening to you is very, very low. So if you're playing strictly the numbers, you can't play that card. It's dumb. So now your job, the first, the first Corporation you need to sell to is your parents or your family that college is a bad idea. And our parents, this is like a generation of kids born in the mid 80s to like, you know, 2005, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. Our parents still deify college as this thing that is absolutely necessary to make anything of yourself. It is no longer true that kids who go to college make more money than kids who don't go to college. Flat out, put it in the bank. It's not true. Factually incorrect. So, you know, when you're sitting there considering stuff, consider the real tangible things. Four years of my life, $100,000 in student loan debt, probably at least. And what am I really getting out of it? You know, look at all these other graphic design students. I know you probably don't have the experience to have worked with them or anything like that, but you are not signing up to become a great designer by going to college. You're not signing up to be a great web developer by going to college. Uh, or, I mean, you could probably pull 100 majors out of your hat that are almost just junk majors. Why are you Why are you wasting your time and money going to school for that?
0: Yeah, and I, I'm trying to imagine, you know, I, I went to school with some very smart people. I'm, I'm talking about high school who are friends with me on Facebook and who the ones who have been at, at higher education now for about 10 years. And I'm trying to picture what they could have done with those 10 years if they, you know, I don't condone dropping out of school but sometimes it's not always necessary. Some of these people could have done some amazing things and built some amazing companies because they are brilliant people if they would have just focused their time on something else. And like you said, you're not guaranteed to make more money. And you know, my mother's probably gonna kill me if she ever hears this, but she has two master's degrees. Does she have a PhD? I don't know. She's She has a bunch of, a bunch of degrees from some some of the world's like best colleges or universities and I'm making more money than she is and I dropped out of college so I mean she's probably she's gonna kill me but you know that's just the reality
1: Right. Yeah. No, I agree. So that's, I mean, that's, uh, I feel like I could rant about education for so long. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. get myself. That's a whole other job. podcast. Yeah. So that's, that does education in this industry. And I, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. So factors that go into this kind of decision, the decision being drop a full time, you know, steady job. Um, for something as uncertain as starting your own business. And let's be real, stop thinking about it as I'm going to become a freelancer. Think about it as I'm starting my own business. That's the that's the long-form, long-term way to think about it. You're starting your own business. So what kind of factors would you uh, consider? Let's just spend a quick minute on this. I mean, it's not really a huge amount, but you know, what kind of factors do you see going into a decision like this, Howard? I mean, you've got some experience going, obviously, from both ways, really, right? Leaving a job... Uh, and also leaving freelancing or leaving your own YouTube business and going to full screen, so you kind of have gone both ways.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of on the on the line about going the other way again because, like I said, I love running my own business. I love doing my own thing and setting my own schedule. And trust me, I would love again. I I love full screen. I love working for them, but I would love there to be a time where I can leave my job at full screen and go back to running my own business but at this moment in time especially with YouTube and advertising being what it is I would financially crumble I have a family to support I have you know we're trying to start a family I'm married I I just bought a house and if I were to leave my day job it would pretty much cause me to go bankrupt I wouldn't be able to pay my bills Um, So that's for me the number one determining factor. What kind of bills do I have? Do I have a family to support? And can I financially support myself if I make that decision? And right now, I would not be able to. Now, Someone like Paul, maybe because of his high paying job, he has some money saved up. He can probably support himself for several months while he goes on this journey. Or maybe he doesn't have a family to support. Again, like we were saying at the beginning, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But it's you know it's going to be different for every person. But for me, it's it's probably family and um, financial responsibilities are the number two factors.
1: And Paul, I hope you have more than just a couple months worth of additional bill well, money yeah, saved up because it's a, a business is a two to five year build typically. So be ready for that. Um, I have here in our notes that we're going to talk about outsourcing. That should come later on when we're talking about finding jobs. I'm going to slide that down the list, Howard. Just as a note here, and we're not gonna edit that out so you guys can see what's going on. (laughs) Um, So the next thing here that I have to talk about is uh, again, this goes back to a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit. After the day job finishes, and this also ties into what you were talking about, saving up money and having money. Uh, after your day job finishes, it really, your work day just begins. You come home from your electrical engineering and I understand this kind of, you know, if you're a contractor or a subcontractor or something like that, and you're working 10 hours out on a job site and you're going to come home and then have to sit down and spend another 5-6 hours working on your design stuff. I mean, don't you have additional paperwork, schematics, clients that you're taking care of for your current electrical design business probably Uh, let me give you uh, an example though my grandfather uh, wanted to start his own plumbing business years and years and years ago and he worked for a plumber he decided he wanted to start his business it took him five years to start the business and what he would do is he would work his day job when he got home he would then fire up his own business and he spent my mom said he spent five to seven hours a day in addition to his day job working on his plumbing business, and he's now had that plumbing business for, I don't know, 45, almost 50 years, um, and his, his we have one of his kids works in it. Um, so that's the way he handled it, so, and, and I think that's a great example that's been given to me of just somebody who doesn't quit at that you know, that 5 o'clock hour hits, boom, and I'm going to shut it off. No, 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 no. This is right when the the, the work that I'm passionate about, this is when that work begins. So now is when I'm going to start doing that stuff. Now is when I'm going to start building that business. Now is when I'm going to start chasing those clients down. Now is when I'm going to work that project, write that contract, make that pitch to those dozen companies I wanted to reach out to. Now, of course, you're not going to be able to do that if if you're expecting to work for an agency, not at all. Uh, this is going to be something when you're starting your own business, your own agency, if you will, because you can set those hours and say, you know what, for now, I have seven hours a day I can work. I can do an hour in the morning before I head off to my job, and I can do six hours a night when I come home.
0: So the next big thing that we're going to talk about is contracts, and this is something that I get asked about a lot. I know you have a lot more experience than I do with writing contracts. So I'm important. It's it's incredibly important, especially if you're doing freelance work, which I don't do a lot of anymore. But I've definitely dealt with contracts, not only on the giving end, but also the receiving end. And being able to read that contract and write a contract is incredibly important. So I'm gonna throw it off to you for now um, to kind of give your experience with reading and writing contracts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have. Uh, I mean, first of all, the idea of a contract is. Incredibly important. When we get a little bit deeper into the show, and we've gone pretty deep already, but when we get deeper into the show, um, we're really going to talk about kind of uh, this whole. Everything I'm going to talk about right now is going to really ring loud and clear over. Okay, um, writing a contract is so important. If your contract is nothing more than I, Paul, whoever agrees to do work with uh, for McDonald's Corp. Or McDonald's Incorporated, whatever, I'm going to redesign Ronald McDonald's hair on this web graphic for $1,500. If that's your contract, that you need something like that. The reason you need a contract is because you need to have a, a clear understanding. This is a, all legalities aside. I'm not even gonna con- think about the contract in terms of legal construct. All of that junk aside, I want the client to know exactly what work I'm doing for them and how much they need to pay me for it. And I also want the client to understand what I'm understanding that I'm supposed to do. I want the client to know that I know that, hey, okay, I need a new logo, and you're charging me $350 for that. I, w- I don't want the client to halfway through the project think, oh, I thought you were doing a full website for $350. I thought that's what you said in that phone conversation. No, 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 no. Remember, we had a, we had a clear scope of work written out in the contract. Um, and in fact, I printed out my contract for my web design stuff. And uh, outside of the cover page, the first page is the description of work where I will detail... Uh, in sometimes 5 points, sometimes 20 points, everything from updating, you know, the cover photo on a Facebook profile to, uh, you know, making sure that the website is responsive to developing the information design and color scheme of a website or a brand. I mean, I try to put everything in there and let the client know, look, this is exactly what I'm doing. Um, If you're going to build out a contract further, I would suggest adding stuff like uh, a a project commencement date and a project complete date so clients know when to expect everything to be done and you can sort of hold yourself to that. Um, If you're going to go a little bit deeper, you can begin to add stuff like payment schedules. Um, It's always good to work something in as far as like a fee for additional services. If a client says, hey, oh, while you're in doing that stuff on my website, can you also do these three other things? Sure, but I do it at the rate of a hundred dollars an hour, and that's written into the contract. That if additional work comes up, it's whatever the rate is—twenty-five bucks an hour, hundred bucks an hour, two hundred bucks an hour, whatever it is you're going to charge. Um, I also have in my contract something basically saying that the client would reimburse me for any kind of fonts, you know, stock photography, um, any any additional stuff like that. You know, travel—if there's anything like that. Uh, that is going to be required for the web project. Now, most of that, or I would say 98% of the time, all of that is considered up front and included in the initial contract. This is just a little bit of additional like, hey, okay, if something that we didn't foresee comes up, um, you know, I'm not going to be on the hook for $8,000 in stock photography or whatever. Uh, assignment of work is another portion that I have, basically saying, look, if something happens to me, I have I reserve the right to pass the work off to another designer. Um, a reservation of rights, saying that, look, I still own the artwork. You have full usage of it. You can do whatever you want with it, but I'm still allowed to use it in my portfolio. I'm allowed to use it in teaching material. Um, I'm basically I'm allowed to do what I want with it, other than manipulating it in a way that portrays your business as something that it isn't, or selling those graphics or logos straight up to somebody else, <coughs> Fiverr, um, or you know something <laughs> something like that. Um, and then you know there's other things about you know different permissions that you give the client as far as what they're allowed to do with what you give them. Um, again, that's something that's going to be based entirely on the project. If it's something where you're creating banners for an event, you might be creating those banners just for use at that event. Say the client didn't want to pay for full usage or for you to release those graphics. They only had a thousand bucks in the budget. Budget. you want 5,000 to create these graphics you say all right look I can do something you know either you can pay me the 5000 you own those graphics outright or for a thousand I'll just do a quick job for you get them together you have your printer handle them so that will be written into a permissions area of the form that basically they can't take those graphics and go using them all over the place they paid you to create graphics for this event and that's what those graphics are for. Uh, You know, amendments by clients uh, if they're coming back and hey, change this, change this, change this. Um, I usually like to say with logos, you get X number of of logo edits, you know, two or three. I was just talking to a woman yesterday about a video project and I said, I normally work my video stuff where I, I give you two edits One of them is my rough cut and the other one is you and I get on the phone and we go over the video and we make all the edits that need to be made for the final version. I don't want to go back and forth for a month and a half, you know, editing a video or editing a logo or anything like that. But again, you want to make sure that you're doing good work. I Remember, a client's going to feel totally hung out to dry if you turn in a bunch of logos to them and they stink. Um, So you wanna make sure you're doing good work so the client feels like they have good options that you're giving to them. Um, And then also a termination, a a section in the contract about termination. If you terminate the contract, x number of days up to the completion of the project you still owe you know most of the the bill or it'll be calculated out or you know a straight 75% of the remainder of the contract is still billable um, let's say if you cancel within 10 days of that finished date or that project complete date um, again you don't want a client to get you to do all of this work. And then as the project is nearing a close, say, ah, we don't really like your work, we're canning you. Uh, And depending on how you handle file transfers and depending on the project, the client may have a bunch of those files. Um, So you wanna make sure that it's written into your contract so you're kind of uh, covered when it comes to something like that. And then I'm just very clear about project costs. I say, hey, look, here's how much the design portion of a project costs, here's how much, um, you know, information design costs, you know, the preparation for a website, Um, here's how much uh, coding costs, here's how much debugging costs and I list it all out Um, and you know I mean my just to give you an idea my base website I charge six thousand dollars for now this is you know what's today July 1st 2015 and that's for you know a basic uh, website, you know, I haven't done any kind of crazy apps. There's not a ton of SEO that I'm doing for it. I do very basic SEO. Uh, make sure that it's ready for a real SEO guy to take and really rock and roll with it. Um, you know, and then there's you know smaller projects, obviously. But six thousand bucks is kind of like my base level for a website. If you if you're hiring me to do a website, it's starting there. Um, except in a few except in a few situations where somebody maybe needs a very simple, you know, think of it as like a digital business card they're throwing up where they might be like, you know, a little bit of information about them um, and a, a YouTube video you're embedding or something, um, in which case I usually charge between $1,500 and $2,000. That includes then helping them get their hosting set up, their domain set up and doing the coding, making sure it's responsive. There's still work that's gonna go into it, um, but it's at a, a very much cut rate from the base level uh, that I would normally be charging. But just in terms of getting a job and getting paid by a client, contracts are a must. Do not take a job, even a free job, without a contract. Just something on paper and tell the client, this isn't to protect me, the designer. This is to let you know, and this is how I phrase it to most of my clients, is look, this lets you know what I'm going to give you and that I'm not just going to take your money and run away with it. I'm here to do the work. I'm here to deliver this job on time, according to the terms. You can see I've written it out. It's clear as day what I'm gonna do. And and that's the the, the money amount that we agreed on. I don't know if it's a federal thing, but I know in the state of Pennsylvania, if you don't have a written contract, the, the bill that you charge the client can always change. You can come back at the end and say, oh no, I'm charging you a thousand bucks more um, because of, you know, for that work that I did. Um, so that's not fair for the client then. So this is a way that both people can be covered. And especially you as a new designer, you don't have the clout of saying, hey, you know, I work for Oracle. You're gonna pay us. We're gonna send our legal team after you. Um, contracts are so important. Write them, make it simple, make it a page. You know what I mean? Um, do something that's easy for the client to read. Something as simple as a, this is party A, me. This is party B, the client, and fill in their info. It's a contract between us. Here's the scope of work. This is what we're gonna do. Here's my signature. Here's their signature. Here's the date. Uh, that we've signed it, Uh, project commences this date, we expect the project to be finished this date, and this is the amount of money uh, that I'm gonna be paid for it. I typically try to get 50% of the money up front for jobs that are over $1,500. If the job is under $1,500, I take 100% up front. Uh, And there's some people that doesn't work for, some people don't like that, but it's the way I work. It's just just what works for me, and I've still been burned a few times even doing that, even with contracts. Uh, There's actually a great video called F You Pay Me, And it's like a 30 minute talk by this guy, one of these creative morning groups, I believe is what it was. And he talks a lot about contracts and clients who who jerk you around. Designers are typically very devalued. And people are like, oh, you only did this. Like the work wasn't worth that. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what your perceived worth is. What matters is we signed a contract. We agreed on this. If you didn't think I was worth it, you shouldn't have hired me. You can't, how unfair is it to hire somebody and then in retrospect say, oh, oh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. After the job is done, I'm looking back now and I don't see how you can charge that much per hour. There's no way you spent that many hours working on a job. Uh, which also, by the way, is why I suggest that you bill per project and not per hour. Find out what you think it'll take. I found that billing per hour just causes fights. I mean, it just causes fights. Because a client that's looking to pinch pennies, if you're charging 50 bucks an hour, if they think there's no way it took six hours and they can only believe it, it took you four hours, I mean, who's, who's to hold you accountable for that? And I mean, it, it, it's 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 a shame that a client would do something like that. But you would be shocked at how often that happens. And yeah, I, and
0: I, I have known. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I have no, known no doubt, designers who who just basically string out their hours. They could have designed something in about an hour and a half, and then they kind of sit there for a while, and the client has no idea how long you've sat there, and they bill them for four hours and say, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, it took four hours. You know, I yeah. had to do this and this and this."
1: Right. So you can you can you can understand it from a client's viewpoint as well, but I, there are I mean, you'll know it when you run into them, but there are clients who are not willing to give you your worth. I'll just put it that way. And those are the people especially where a contract and getting money up front is so important. And again, this goes even for jobs that are free. I'm telling you, you will never regret writing a contract. If somebody's not willing to sign one, well, and I should say, make your contract clear enough and simple enough, and you need to have enough of an understanding of your contract that you can say, look, if you have any questions about the contract, just ask me. I will I will share with you every bit of information I can. I want you to know this is a fair exchange. As at the end of the day, if you're doing work for somebody, there's no reason to feel ashamed to ask money for it. You are exchanging your talent, your time, your effort for money. It's a simple you know exchange of goods if you will i mean it's not goods because it's not it's not necessarily tangible but you know what i mean they're paying you for your skills you're not stealing from them so if they can't understand that you have a fair contract that you want signed i'm telling you it's not worth 180 bucks it's not worth 50 bucks it i mean that that's a job that is going to nag at you for up to 6 months and you're going to you're going to be choking the person to get the money out of them it's a nightmare i've seen it happen more times than I care to uh, recount to people closer to me than I would care to admit have been willing to do this. I've done it before, and it, it backfires virtually every single time, and that is not an exaggeration. So write a simple contract. I mean, do it right now. If you have if you have that entrepreneurial drive, if you want to do this, maybe one of the first things you should do is write a just a, a one-page contract. Do some research online, write a one-page contract, an agreement, and and have it. Don't worry about if it's on fancy letterhead or any of that junk, just an agreement, a sheet that you can sign that a client can sign. So anyway, Howard, talk to me a little about building a portfolio. I need to take a drink of water. I feel like I've been talking for since the stone age.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So a portfolio, if you're looking to capture clients is probably easily one of the most important things because after all, they're paying you or hopefully paying you for the work that you do and you have to show off that work you can't they're not going to take your word I could I, you know my work is the best work out there and I' I've, I can do stuff that Apple can do well Show it to me. Let me see what you can do. And you have to be able to show what you're able to do. And, and to quickly and
1: interrupt you, even you know people like you and I. And I hate to like use that term because it makes us like very us versus them. We're normal, just like you guys. Um, you know, we we put on our pants one leg at a time, as they say. Um, but it, it, people like us who have, I guess, you know, a little bit of an online presence, and you would think some sort of clout. I still will have clients who find me through Tutvid and I'm sure the same goes for you with Iceflow, uh, Iceflow Studios. You'll have clients find you and what is one of the first things they ask? Hey, could you send a portfolio over? Uh, you know, or, or some examples. of uh, People do it even with my photography. Like, hey, we love your work. Can you just package a few in a portfolio? Uh, you know, and that could be like a PDF, just a few images attached to an email. Uh, but it's great to really have a website and we'll talk about a website. But anyway, go ahead. Talk talk about portfolio. Sorry to interrupt you. I just had to get that in there.
0: Yeah, so... You're at the point where you're designing work, you're designing really good work, and you're starting to show it off, or you want to show it off, and clients want to see it. So the big question is, where do you put this stuff, and how do you start building a portfolio? There are obviously many different ways you can build a portfolio, many different places you can show off your work. But in my experience, probably the best places are Behance, Dribble, and a very Bare bones custom website, which you can probably do. You don't have to pay Nathaniel six thousand dollars. You can probably do for you know a few dollars a month on Squarespace, um, and it it just it makes life so much easier. You can just kind of upload directly to these websites, and some of them like Behance integrates directly with Photoshop and Lightroom and other applications. Squarespace has a ton of different templates and a place like Dribbble and also Behance, they have integrated marketplaces so clients can actually find you and connect with you directly on those websites. But what's even nicer, and we've spoken about this in the past, is a website like or a service like Behance allows you to show your progress, which is unbelievably important. If I'm looking for a company or a designer to design something for me, I don't care what the final product looks like. I mean, sure, it might look fancy, it might look flashy, but I love seeing how they got to that point because not only is it fascinating seeing the progress, but it also kind of validates that they actually did it because I know it sounds crazy, but there are, are maybe not a lot, but there are designers out there who take other people's work, throw it on a portfolio and say, look, I did this send me money send me work and it happens I've seen it happen I I don't think I've been a victim of this but it happens all the time and being able to see the progress kind of says you know this guy's probably legit I love the way he works I love the different revisions he provides I'm gonna go with him over this random guy or even this you know famous designer with just one piece up there that just shows the final design
1: yeah no I agree Um, and actually Google has that reverse image search where you can upload an image and find out where it is. I've, I've done that with some of my photos just for the heck of it. And I found other photographers like in other countries, no joke, have copied my entire portfolio and just set it as like their photography site. I mean, the websites are driving virtually no traffic. Um, and by that, I mean no traffic. Um, you
0: were, you were probably their only visit all month.
1: Right. But, (laughs) and I, I honestly, I can look at it and just laugh because you're going to hire that person and they can't deliver what they see in that portfolio in that portfolio. But yeah, like you said, that, that, that goes to the importance of showing, uh, progress. It shows that you know what you're doing. It shows that you're an authority. It gives more depth. Go deep, go deep, deep, second level. Uh, and then you, you can brand, you know, branding yourself. I mean, I think you briefly touched on, um, you know, the way the website looks and being able to edit it and everything like that. And you can begin to build your own brand. I feel like building your own brand um, is something that's going to come necessarily from the presence that you develop online. I wouldn't think of a brand as the letterhead business card and logo I have. It's It's the persona of your company to which you attach a logo and all of that. So all, all of that uniformity is gonna come when you start to build that portfolio and you build that website and say, all right, sweet, now it's time to add a logo to the mix and really complete the face of your brand um so
0: yeah don't worry too much if you have this fancy logo for your company at first you know honestly if your designs are great and you have a great portfolio just throw your name at the top of your website Howard Pinsky right at the top who cares what the logo looks like as long as your content is speaking for the work that you do it doesn't matter if you have just your name up there or some fancy thing that looks like I mean look at Apple look at Uh, Microsoft, look at any major company right now. Their logos are pretty... I mean, look at Facebook. Their logo is an F. You don't need anything fancy. Let the work speak for itself.
1: Yeah, the the one tip that I would give, very practically speaking, on building a portfolio is show your best work and only your best work. Mm
0: -hmm. Don't
1: set some arbitrary number in your mind like, I need to have 12 logos and five websites in my portfolio. Honestly, if you have three incredible logos and a single great website or six great logos and that's it, show that stuff. From a client's standpoint, when they look at your portfolio, your portfolio is only as strong as the weakest piece of art in it because the weakest logo, the weakest design, that client that's hiring you or is thinking about hiring you, their job could be the next worst piece of artwork that you do. So if they look at your portfolio and they say, wow, the worst thing this guy has done is this incredible thing. It doesn't matter if you've got a dozen things or 85 things. They're looking at this portfolio as a full body of work. If you have six amazing pieces of artwork and 30 that are kinda eh, I'm telling you right now, you're not gonna get very much work at all because your portfolio is showing off the eh side of your design and not the great. Show the great, hide the rest. A great photographer a lot of times is a guy who knows how to edit his photos. And I don't mean use Photoshop to edit them. I mean, he knows when to say, you know what? I'm not going to show that picture to the world. It's not really all that great. In fact, it's pretty bad. He knows how to choose the great photos from the eh photos.
0: Yeah. Here's a really stupid analogy. And I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. How many times have you been on a website like Amazon looking to buy something and you see the product and you start reading the reviews and it's like, good review, good, 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 good. And then there's like the one bad review, which is like one and a half stars and you read it like, Oh, okay. Maybe this product isn't that good. Even though there's like 50 really good reviews and then there's that one really bad and then you decide not to buy it. Well, why did you decide not to buy it? That's stupid. It's a good product, but just one guy, but it's the same thing with your portfolio. You could be the next,
1: right. You could be the next one and a half star.
0: Exactly. If you have 50 amazing pieces, but you have one really bad piece, just like you said, that client's going to think, well, maybe I'm going to get that really next bad piece.
1: Right. So moving on from portfolio, um, and there's so much that could be talked about with portfolios, you know, physical versus digital portfolios, really how to arrange your work and design a portfolio. We're not even going to get into all of that. This is a lot of this that we're going to talk about is theory, and uh, there's still a lot to talk about when it comes to theory. Uh, so once you start a website, the, the long and tedious process of finding work um, begins. So, I, one of the things, or, or two of the things, I guess I should say, I would limit yourself to two social media networks. Right, I mean, Howard, you've seen it. People that you know pick up, and they're on a bajillion different social networks. And and when you do that, it might feel great initially, but you end up having you know a ghost town of a Facebook page, you know, six tweets a year and a half ago on Twitter, uh, you know, a Tumblr, you know, GIF file from six months ago, uh, Instagram that gets updated every five weeks, you know, stuff like that. So pick two, and and the social media networks you pick are, I would say, directly going to connect to this next thing. And this is a a point that you raised, Howard. What specific field of design do you want to target? And maybe you want to talk about that for a little bit, but just before you do, the way it would connect to social media is uh, on Facebook, you're going to have a lot more of like your 25 to 70-year-old crowd, uh, whereas something like Snapchat, for instance, you're going to have more of like your 15 to 22, 23-year-old crowd. Um, so if you're you know, doing design for kids' books and you're really reaching out to that kind of hip, young uh, – well, maybe that's a, a bad example. If you're doing design that's going to appeal to those 15 to 23-year-olds, Snapchat might be a much wiser choice than Facebook, um, whereas Facebook – might be, to- might, might totally make sense for something else. So you really need to know and understand where you're starting to push your business um, and also having an understanding of what you're good at is also helpful. If you know you suck on camera, on video, YouTube and Snapchat might be really bad ideas for you because a lot of what you're gonna do is probably video based. You might want to stick with stuff that's more texty, wordy, or picture-oriented. Instagram, Facebook, maybe. Um, so having a good understanding of what you're good at, and also uh, where where your business is headed, and what field you're headed into, that should help you decide. You know which social media network that you're going to choose to to really pimp, but limit it to two. Seriously, two.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that because social handling social media, it might seem very easy because you're just like typing and posting something, but when you have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and Snapchat and Vine going all at the same time and you're trying to keep them all up to date, because like you said, if you kind of slip on one of them and your Facebook page hasn't been posted to in six months, it's going to really look bad on you. So stick with two and try to limit it to the ones that would best fit your work so if you're a photographer maybe you want to stick with instagram or i mean even a designer maybe you want to stick with instagram or if you just if you like you said nathaniel if you're not very good on video stick with twitter because it's something you can very easily update on the go from wherever you are you can post to all your different other websites or your portfolio whatever it might be um i don't have much else to add to it but yeah don't overload yourself with all these social media networks because chances are You're not going to get the same level of audience on all of them. Just focus on two. Build up your audiences on those two and then branch out as time goes on.
1: Right, because you're you're not really going to actively get jobs through social media uh, per se. I mean, you can solicit jobs from people through, like we said, LinkedIn, Twitter, stuff like that, so it's absolutely possible, but a lot of times I feel like, again, building a social media or or, or working within a social media network is more about adding depth to your personality as the business owner. You know, the web is very personal. But Howard, we're going to jump ahead here just a little bit. We're going to get back to this, you know, using social media that I have in the notes. Um, can, Can you talk a little bit about blogging on uh, on your own design site. I know I do it with my photography sites um, and you and I both do a bit of writing slash blog style stuff with Tutvid and Iceflow Studios respectively. Um, can you just talk a little bit about writing the blog, uh, like maybe r- like writing a blog versus being on Behance because you could technically do the same thing on your blog, right? As far as showing progress?
0: You certainly can, yeah. But I, I find that blogging is... Even though it may not seem like it's directly related to your design work it's i mean for me a lot of the blogs that i write are just things to clear my mind whether it be something i want to rant about or just something that's interesting in the news or the tech world i'll just kind of write about it because it i love clearing my mind but at the same time it's also it shows a little bit of variance on your website so you're not only posting your your work or your designs or whatever it might be you also have other interests but it also it kind of like it triggers that search engine optimization which is really nice and it pulls people to your website um if you're writing i mean how do i put this if you're only uploading design work Google's not going to know what the heck is going on because you're just posting images. Even if you write a little blurb at the bottom, it's not enough for Google to say, "Oh, this is probably something people might be interested in." Well, and Let it's certainly me show not it going to be enough to,
1: yeah, it's certainly not going to be enough to get you to like that first page, you know, way up there. You know, you can alternate text your images from here to next Thursday, and that's not going to. I mean, it'll do a little bit, but you're not going to beat out any kind of decent competition.
0: Yeah, whereas if you have a blog on your website, that stuff, if you write like 250, 500, maybe even a thousand words, that will definitely catch Google's attention. And even some social media networks, they kind of look into your page when you're posting it to see what's going on, if it's an actual article that people might be interested in, and it kind of determines where it should rank it. So uh, do I have any examples specifically? I think some of my reviews on my website Um, So obviously on my iceflowstudios.com website it's primarily Photoshop tutorials but at the same time I do a little bit of blogging and I would fit reviews into that as well and some of the reviews I have for actually the microphone I'm using right now gets a ton of traffic from Google mainly because it's a very long article and it goes very in-depth with what people want to know about this microphone so it hits on those specific keywords that people are searching for that not only drives traffic to my website but people start exploring my website and come across my tutorials.
1: Right. So how does that turn into tangible work for you as a designer? This is where, and I harp on this all the time with both my own projects and clients that I'm working with, the idea of geo-targeting. Geo-targeting is, let's say, Paul, you're a designer outside of uh, Bismarck, North Dakota. All right? I'm, I don't know why I keep going back to this, but <laughs> we're, we're in Bismarck, North Dakota. It's one of the few states I've never traveled to and I would love to go there. I don't know why. It's a bunch of trees and snow, right? Uh, but anyway, Anyway, let's say you are you're a designer right outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. I would write these blog posts. Let's say you're working on this big branding project or a logo design project. You know, I, the, the the title of the blog post should somehow work Bismarck, North Dakota into that. So you can say logo design comp you know, such and such company, Bismarck, North Dakota. Well, there you have Bismarck, North Dakota and logo design in the same very important line of text. You're beginning to geo target where you can in the body of the type, you know, throw in, you know, local local stuff. Bismarck this, North Dakota that. You know any like, and I don't know like town names around Bismarck, but you know little town names or counties. However, people are you know kind of identifying themselves. So when you have a company from Bismarck, go to Google and say, "Hey, uh, Bismarck logo designer" or "Bismarck logo design." You actually have a shot of coming up. Uh, that's exactly how I get a lot of the uh, organic search results that I get for my photography website. Is just strictly one hundred. 100,000% of the time through blog posts. I'm not paying for Google AdWords advertising. You can do that, you can pay for Facebook advertising. There's absolutely nothing that says you can't do that and you can drive a bunch of traffic doing that. I hope you got great work so people stick around and hire you um, but th- for, for you can trade your time, use a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit, work an extra few hours to write that blog post to get that piece of content out there. It may take a few months before it takes in Google but when it does, you essentially have free advertising. Um, you can also do something called content marketing and again, A great example that a buddy of mine showed me, if you go to Google and you search how to teach my child how to ride a bike, the top article, at least in my area, is this company REI, which is a big sporting goods outdoor store. I believe they're across the country, right, Howard? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we have them here. Yeah, and and they're they're number one. They have an article on how to teach your child how to ride a bike. Well, they're a sporting goods store. They're not an academy for children's bike riding. Well, they have that. And right there in the sidebar, there's you know eight different bike helmets you can buy, a set of training wheels, all this other stuff. So the the content marketing, this content that REI is providing is getting them to the top of Google where they then say, all right, now that we've given you this content for free, now we have this to sell you. So not only could you detail the process and progress like you would do with Behance, there's nothing wrong with doing it with Behance at all, but you, 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 you do these blog posts about the progress from sketch to finish product of X, Y, or Z logo that you're designing, but also maybe write an article on how to choose a great logo designer. What about that? Uh, why uh, why uh, the typography and logo design? Um, what is responsive web design? Um, things like that where you talk about these important issues, think about it from your client's point of view. When you know, so-and-so from you know, Zach and Sue's bakery tells their receptionist, hey, find a web designer, we're gonna redo our website. What's that receptionist putting into Google to find a good web designer? Is she just searching in the area for a web designer? Does she go deeper and wonder what makes a good designer? Does she go even deeper and 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 start looking at looking for articles? What what kind of questions should I ask a web designer? What kind of things should I expect from a web designer in terms of questions? Uh, you know, so if you write those blog posts and you prepare that, well, hey, guess what? You've got a client who's looking for that stuff and they're already in your website and you haven't paid for it. So content marketing and writing a blog to show progress, like you said, Howard, uh, is really great. And then after that, I would say you need to really smash social media. I mean, just blow it up. Um, not posting every five minutes, um, but you know, tweeting at people. You know, hey, share this great article that I wrote about the difference between sans serif and serif type when it comes to you know body text and web design or in logo design or whatever it is that you're writing about. You know, how to create a great signature uh, for your forum or for your, you know, for your profile in a forum or whatever. I mean it can literally be anything like that that you're going in and providing value and you're tweeting at these people and saying like, hey look, here, I'm explaining this. Here's a blog post. Boom, I've done that. You know, and, most, and, and virtually nobody does that. And most of you who are listening aren't going to do it. Um, but it, it takes work and it is, it's a great organic way to get people to come to your website and, and it helps you build that social media network. Uh, that we had talked about just a moment ago to really give depth to your brand uh, from an online standpoint that look, hey, I'm out here doing stuff Um, and engage with the people who engage with you even if somebody just tweets it like, hey, you're awesome, just like a a simple like, hey, sweet, thanks, man, that's awesome, uh, you know, Thanks. Uh, that's enough. Something to acknowledge these people again. Look to establish depth in your company, and I guess that would also include depth in the relationships that spring forth from your company. Um, and that you know that requires you know s- social media stuff. Are there any tools you use as far as like social media management, Howard?
0: Um, I'm going to get back to that in one second, but I do want to bounce back to blogs for a second. And one of the biggest things that have helped me drive traffic to my YouTube videos or my own personal blog is writing on other people's blogs, which sounds kind of strange, but there are so many people who their websites revolve around guest authors and typically I would say 95% of the time they're not paying gigs, you, they're not going to pay you to write a blog on their website but they know that if their website's big enough it's not only going to drive traffic back to your website through clicks but it's also going to help your search engine optimization because your website is now being linked by a much higher ranked website. So. If you have people who are kind of in the same industry as you, who have a blog, hit them up and say, listen, I have this blog, I'm working on this really cool project, I would love to write a guest post on how I design this thing. And you can, you know, it's it's content for them. It's free content for them to pimp to the world. And it helps them. It helps you. It helps everybody. So that's another thing you should definitely yeah, that, and that's And that's is, a
1: very underrated, very important thing. I'm glad you brought that up because that is huge. Mm. And and like you said, hit up people in your industry. But don't just have two or three. Find 50, 75, 100 people in your field, local, not local, whatever, and find a way to get content for them. You know, don't make promises to 100 people who all are going to come back and say, yeah, do that for me. And then you can't deliver. But. But right. you know, just know that probably most people aren't gonna give you the time of day anyway. But if you get six links, download something. There's something called MozBar. You can get it. It's a Chrome, Google Chrome extension mm-hmm. that'll show you like the the page rank and pa- page rank and page authority of other websites. And there's other SEO tools where you can look to see the number of inbound links to competing websites. So you kind of have an idea of, you know, how strong they are. And all right, look, if I get six great links from other websites, I'm gonna be in business here. You know, maybe I need 30, but six is a whole lot closer to 30 than zero. So anyway, go ahead, sorry. So going
0: back to tools, um, this is gonna be a pretty disappointing answer. I don't use very many tools other than like the native clients. For Twitter, I used to use the regular Twitter app for OS X, which they haven't updated since like 1982. So now I use TweetDeck. And the thing I like about TweetDeck is I can manage multiple accounts within TweetDeck. And I can also schedule tweets, which I I absolutely love. I think you actually use something to schedule your tweets because during the podcast, I saw one of your posts pop up that I don't think you typed out as like a look like a scheduled post. Um, But I love scheduling my tweets because sometimes I'm not always at my desk or sometimes I need things to go out. Like if I'm announcing a new version of a product that's covered by NDA that's, you know, in the contract that's going to go out like 9.01 p.m. I want to get that tweet scheduled so I don't have to manually post on every single social network. Um, Other than that, I don't really use much in terms of social media tools other than the native clients.
1: Yeah, I I use Hootsuite. I, for a little while, used Buffer. Buffer's great, and I believe... Virtually entirely free. Hootsuite mm-hmm. largely is free. I pay for it. Um, it's a really useful tool. I I in one you know one Google Chrome window I can manage my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, multiple Twitter, multiple Facebook, whatever I want to do. Facebook pages versus Facebook personal profiles, so I can just cut out the distraction of the personal profile and just focus on the business page part of it. Um, I yes, like you, I can schedule tweets, um, which is what I do when I put out a new piece of content. I have a Uh, Social media schedule. So basically, I know that I'm tweeting it out right away, three hours later, with a graphic the next day, a week later, a month later, two months later. uh, And the same thing would go then Facebook, I do it like the day of and a week later. Google Plus, I do it like a day of, a week later, and a month later. Uh, Instagram, I do it day of. And I think a week later or a month later, something like that. And then Pinterest, I just do it once. I just get the link up there and just see if I can drive traffic. Um, that's that's how I. That's kind of how I um, go ahead and push content out for Tutvid. It might be a little bit differently for you um, to to push content out for your web design job. I'm looking primarily to drive traffic and provide uh value in terms of what people are seeing on my website um so yeah i mean that's 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 kind of how i I work with that so yeah i would say something hootsuite it's great i love it um but if you don't want to go hootsuite buffer is another great uh option so where are we going howard
0: we're going to go to the next we're going to skip 21 because we pretty much answered that a few times uh, throughout the podcast, talking about how 20, to find
1: jobs, we've we, uh, we've, I'd yeah, say we've 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 covered that a little we, bit.
0: We definitely covered that. The next one on our list is design contest forms, Elance, Invado. So, I, a little bit, it kind of does, but also in terms of like contest forms, it also helps you build up a portfolio. There was a website way back in the day. This was, I think, before I even started the YouTube stuff, or maybe just when I was starting. What was it called? I don't know what it was whatever it's called um, some design contest thing and I was on there all the time they have like design contests some of them you can actually win some real money some of them are just for fun and I did a lot of them just to kind of help build up my portfolio and it wasn't something that made me rich it certainly didn't make me any money because I don't think I was good enough at the time but it helped me get to that point where I thought you know I'm, I'm kinda good enough to do my own thing I'm following these instructions let me make my own instructions and create my own little internal contest and see what I can do with you know this these different photos and put them together in sort of this photo composition um, so, you know, I don't know. I find just those websites help a little bit. They don't help tremendously, but it's kind of good to browse other websites, see what's going on, see what other people are creating, and kind of go in from there, if that makes any sense. Probably not.
1: No, I think it does make a bit of sense. Um, <laughs> and, and specifically, sites like, you know, Envato's Marketplace and Elancy type sites. And there's a lot of like design lead generation sites uh, where you can pay a certain amount of money and get a certain number of leads. Um, and this this leads into something we're going to talk about. Well, I guess we'll just talk about it now. Uh, competition with outsourcing. Uh, that's probably the primary reason that I don't really like stuff like this. Um, because I mean, you'll have people on there creating like full website mockups for fifty five bucks, oh. and it's it's very very difficult to compete with stuff like that. Um, it, it is. I I wouldn't say to discount all of this stuff out of hand. There like you said, Howard, there's a lot of value that I feel like they bring to the table in terms of you can look at other people's work and see what they're doing. Um, I was just looking at Envato the other day, and you know, some of the top designers are good people that are averaging, you know, like forty-five bucks for a job, fifty-five bucks for a job. But if you look at the quality of work, they're not really delivering great stuff. So, you know, so what if they're getting a thousand jobs a month, right? Or a hundred jobs a month? What if you can get one or two jobs a month at your five hundred dollar a job rate, but you need to market yourself as that as that boutique designer. That designer who is really good, who delivers crazy awesome content, who answers emails, bam, lickety-split, um, who, who there's exclusivity about you. You're there helping your client all the way through and through. You have immaculate customer reviews. That's where you need to kind of cut your teeth. Stop trying to be Walmart. You're never gonna beat Walmart and be the cheapest. You can't compete on price. You have to compete on service and the value that you personally... Again, this goes back to the idea of being a personable person, adding depth to your resume, and the same would go for like an about me page on your website. What makes you unique? If you're another face on the page, you're only worth that $45 a job. But if you're something special, if you're something bigger than that, so again, you're not worried about getting hundred jobs a month. You're never gonna be that job that, that that designer that deals in volume. You don't want that. Would you rather deal with hundred clients or I'm sorry, ten clients at fifty bucks each and have to deal with ten separate transactions or one client at five hundred dollars? Okay, so you're missing out on nine out of ten jobs, but you're making just as much money and you're spending a lot less time doing it, and there's a whole heck of a lot less stress involved because you have one client who's going to value your work a lot more, who you can really forge and form a personal relationship with. In my mind, the the the, the answer is clear as day. So stuff like that, like you said, is really, really uh, useful and, and really try not to be discouraged by the outsourcing. But I mean, Howard, you can talk a little bit about outsourcing too. It is definitely a little bit of a threat, um, but if you're really good and you focus on the the depth of your business. Again, I feel like it keeps coming back to that. Um, If you focus on that, I don't think you're gonna have as much of an issue as you might be thinking that you're gonna have.
0: Yeah, outsourcing is definitely a thing. And I think it's becoming more of a threat over the years because design is getting easier to do and it's getting cheaper to do in other countries. And just look at a website like Fiverr. People are offering $5 logos and they're designing them in, most of the designers are not based in the United States. And they're giving, you know, very sloppy, you know, it drives me crazy. I was watching the NHL draft the other day and they were running ads for Fiverr because I think they were just running very cheap ads. And it was basically saying Fiverr is great for your business. And some guy was giving this quote unquote testimonial saying he got his company logo from Fiverr for just $5. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're getting your company logo from Fiverr for $5, your company is going to fail very shortly, and you'll probably need some lawyers to defend yourself. But anyways, um, at the end of the day, I really believe that if someone does get a logo or something like that for $5 or whatever it might be, very cheap, a few months from now, or even a few years from now, they're gonna realize that was probably not the best decision to outsource their work. And they're gonna look for a much, more, rep, um, you know, reputable. I don't know,
1: what's th- reputable?
0: Yeah, I, I guess reputable. <laughs> They're going to look for someone who can actually design something that they can use in their day to day life, not have to worry about being sued. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't.
0: Yeah, I, and and I don't know. and
1: at that point, it's a much more expensive change. But I think what right. you can control from a designer standpoint is: Do you really want to work with somebody like that? And is that the clientele that you want to uh, generate and 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 attract? If you're attracting a client who wants to pay you five bucks for your work, you're not attracting the right kind of client. There's a, there's a flaw is somewhere else. Um, I remember when I was shooting weddings, I was considering, contemplating raising the prices of of what I was shooting. And and what finally prompted me to do it, and this is raising it from five hundred bucks a wedding to about three thousand, three thousand to thirty five hundred dollars a wedding. What finally prompted me to do it was I listened to I don't know who it was talk, but somebody said, if you raise the prices. uh, you get a few things. You get less, sometimes, you get less job inquiries, sure, but if you do great work, you're not going to see that much of a change. In fact, the high price is going to almost validate your work. Um, But you get clients who appreciate what it is you're doing because they're willing to pay for it. They're not skimping on, you know, looking to shave hours here or there off of the work that you're doing. Um, And they end up referring you to their friends who are also not a bunch of money-grubbing, you know, penny pinchers. Um, You know, when it it comes to spending money on the brand of their business and the graphics or photography or whatever it is that you're looking to get into, they work with companies or they are personally people who value what you have to offer and those are the best people to work for. Those people are the most fun to work for and they're also best for your business because they
0: pay. That's true.
1: So, uh, so moving on from that, I mean, this, so then you can uh, do additional things like, you know, a quick shot in the arms of, like we talked about, some AdWords stuff, which can get pretty expensive, and also advertising on Facebook. That can drive um, traffic to your website. You can advertise, not don't even worry about if you have a Facebook page or not. You can advertise, just direct your website on Facebook as well. Um, I would say try starting a monthly newsletter if you're creating pretty sweet blog posts a few times a month. What I like to do with my photography stuff is past clients. I've got like 120 some odd email addresses of like my best clients the people over the past five years that I've loved working for and they're in this newsletter. So every month they'll get a newsletter of just, you know, either stuff I've written a a, a post about or just happenings in my life, a little story here or there like, hey, I got married last month, you know, whatever the month after I got married, I got married last month and then we went here. For a honeymoon or whatever, um, and some photos and some interesting stories, maybe a witty quote or two, uh, an interesting take on uh, maybe like uh, an interesting video you found on the web, maybe borderline political to get a little edgy, um, stuff like that. That can be really great because you're just like letting everybody know who's who has hired you already. Like hey just remember me, I'm still here, I'm still doing work, you know, don't forget about me. So, you know, when they open their email and they see your email, they like, oh yeah, that's right, we needed that, that brochure done, you know, all right, well, there's, you know, a $450 job or a $700 job, whatever you're charging for it, uh, you know, and you wouldn't have gotten it or you wouldn't have gotten it as quickly if you didn't have that newsletter. And if you're already creating the content, uh, you know, putting together a newsletter with something like MailChimp No joke, it's going to take you 30 30 minutes to an hour on like a Saturday afternoon. And you can schedule to go out like first thing Monday morning, 5 a.m. Monday morning or something. It's I mean, you've worked with different uh, newsletters and stuff. It's super easy.
0: It really is. And I was very surprised at how many people actually signed up to this thing. Because I honestly thought people weren't really interested in newsletters anymore. So I finally got around to releasing a newsletter and I got, you know, right now I, I don't have that many, I have several thousand, but not like several hundred thousand, but people are signing up to newsletters still. And the nice thing about an email newsletter is that if you're on Twitter or if you're on Facebook and you post something, there's a good chance a bunch of people are going to miss it because they're not sitting at their desk or they're not on their phone browsing their Facebook or Twitter feed. But the nice thing about emails is that they're always going to be there until you delete them. So it's much more likely that they're going to see your content if you just plop it right into their inbox than if you just throw it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Put it on Twitter. Put it on Facebook. But also take a bunch of that stuff, put it together, and deliver it as an email. And they're definitely going to see it.
1: Yeah, and if, as long as you're not saturating their inbox, for the most part, they'll delete all right. the other junk. And if you have a half decent email, they'll probably just open to see what you're up to. I mean, people are pretty voyeuristic. If, if Facebook's taught us anything, it's taught us that people like kind of keeping up with other people and knowing what they're doing, what's going on in their lives. So just a nice, it doesn't have to be a crazy long newsletter, you know, something that's relatively a decent length. But I found that that's a really great uh, little kind of tip slash trick uh, for maintaining clients and getting uh, new clients. So beyond chasing down jobs comes the idea of bettering yourself as a designer. Even if you have a great portfolio, you can still be better to learn new stuff and also refining the systems that you're working with. You know, are you going to get to the point where uh, you know exactly where you're placing ads? Let's say Craigslist, Facebook, Google AdWords uh, and then when a client writes you, when you get that email in your inbox from your website, hey new web design inquiry do you, have you ever considered doing something like write out an email, essentially a form email, so you can just do a quick copy and paste, include all the information you need to send back to that per- prospective client with some ideas, some interesting thoughts, but it's literally a copy-paste job for you, and you can you know add in their name like, hey, John, thanks for your interest in the site, I'm really glad you reached out, blah, 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 blah with an email, stuff like that is really great little things that will save you time, I've noticed. Um, I've also, uh, developed what I call my web worksheet, which is the first piece of documentation I send to uh, a potential client. This is before I send a contract, um, which basically, uh, if you if you burden me or allow me to burden you for one moment, I'm just going to quickly just scroll through what it is. So it's it's a Word document. And the client is able to look at it and fill in areas that apply to them. So basically, I ask for who I'm talking to, who can I contact for approval regarding this project, Uh, you know, give me a full name and an email address, Uh, what's the purpose of your website, do you have a company name, a logo, a slogan, domain name, hosting, stuff like that, and then just describe in a paragraph who you are and what you do. Remember, if you've got, you know, Mama Zerns and she's got a quilting shop, I have no clue what her market looks like. I have no idea what she does. Um, so all this stuff helps me. Then I have a demographic section. How would you describe your site viewers or how would you perceive your site's viewers? Uh, what would you want to see from your site to enjoy it and perceive it as a success? Like great design, functionality, lots of information, a cleaner layout. Uh, would you like to receive analytical data from the site once it's live? That's basically just asking me, uh, do we need to make sure that you're set up with Gmail and Google Analytics? Uh, Do you have competitors? If so, please list their websites. What do you like or dislike about their presence online? Um, Interactivity on the website, stuff like forums, blogs, contact forms, stuff like that. Uh, It's just a good idea to get an idea of what people are thinking they want for their website as well as a list of like the four to eight main pages of the website, Uh, And then just some design aesthetic type things. Do you have a color palette? Do you wanna have a very busy website with a lot of information or do you wanna keep it extraordinarily simple or something in between? Um, Other websites that maybe aren't in your field but that you like the design of. Um, Do you have content prepared for your site? that's very important. A lot of times design projects can get hindered because people haven't given you uh, the proper content that they need to provide you with so you can actually fill the stuff into the pages. That's really important. Um, and then also just a, an area for additional information. If there's anything that I haven't covered that you feels like that, that you feel like you need to share with me as your designer, spill it here. And when I get something like that back from a client when I get this whole worksheet back, it gives me an idea of the of the scope of work, what the client expects, what they expect me to do, what I can do to make them happy, what I can do to get them, what they feel like they need. Or sometimes I look at it and realize they have no idea what they need. They think they know what they need, but they really don't know and we can talk about it and adjust things. Um, Or sometimes I just straight up won't take a job because I know it's just not, it's not going to work. It's not what they need. They don't know what they need and what they think they need is so bad, it's not really worth it to take the job. It's just, it would be sort of like a lost job. So, I mean, well, I have nothing
0: much to add to that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just I know because you're you're working for a company, so you're not really dealing with a client per se direct right. in the same capacity that you know a straight up freelancer would be. Um, but certainly, when it comes to like your own personal betterment, outside of like business refinement, you know, learning more and more, and continually making sure that you are at the front of the line when it comes to all the new happenings with that piece of software or that that method and that formula, that technique for coding or designing. Um, you know, I mean, that's right up your at the school studios for crying out loud right
0: I, in terms of learning and refining your skills that is so important it kind of it, it strikes me as strange that I've, I've encountered some people who claim that they're professionals in the industry like let's say the design industry and I find out they're using like Photoshop CS3 and I understand their whole concept of stick with what works but at the same time There's so much technology in some of the newer applications, whether it's Photoshop or doesn't matter what we're talking about. You need to stay up to date with what you're doing and what you're using for a living. Yes, you might not agree with Adobe's Creative Cloud monthly subscription thing, but you just have to use it because that's what people are using. And, you know, one point to add to this is that if you're working with other people, even though if, even if you're not working with somebody now, let's say you're working with another client or you're collaborating, or even the client you're working with might not have much design skills, but they request a the PSD file. If you're using Photoshop CS2 or Photoshop CS3 and you send a, a file to somebody there's a chance they might not be able to open it because they're using a much newer version of photoshop which sounds crazy in most cases they will be able to open it but the point is sometimes you just have to keep up to date with things Um, and if you're not up to date learn it you know there's websites like lynda.com or there's websites like kelby one who has training on pretty much virtually Everything, and if you don't know After Effects or if you don't know how to use Microsoft Excel, which is so crucial in this day and age, or Microsoft Word or whatever it might be, learn it. Don't just say you know somebody else will do it or I'll find a template online or I'll pay somebody. No, just learn it.
1: Yeah, yeah. The 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 production value add to your business is astronomical. And Howard, you have a link. For Linda, don't you? I don't. I have no idea what it is. I didn't write it down. I but do, I'm, so I'm yeah. If, if anyone's
0: listening at an hour and 50 minutes or whatever we're at, <laughs> um, uh, if you do want to learn from Linda or you want to learn whatever you might want to learn, lynda.com slash Howard, which is just my name, and you get 10 days completely free to learn pretty much whatever you want.
1: Yes. And I guess one more thing that I would add uh, before we shut this thing down is... <laughs> that the, to, to be a freelancer, to be good, um, you're gonna spend most of your time chasing work not actually doing work. And if you're not cut out for that, if straight up, you're not gonna be successful. You need to be willing to work 12 to 15 hours a day uh, and maybe five of those hours are actually going to be designing. Ten hours are going to be spent chasing down jobs, building and establishing relationships online, and, and, and tweaking your business, and that kind of stuff. Um, and you know maybe creating fake clients to build an initial portfolio, right? <laughs> but the, the key is I wouldn't look at this as something where it's like, oh, sweet. I can just do this and work six hours a day and make tons of money. If that's your approach... I'm telling you right now, you're going to fail. It's going to run and, and out. You know what? And you're gonna fail.
0: Speaking of failing, you're probably going to fail to begin with anyways. You might have an amazing plan that sounds great in your head, but when you actually start to execute, it's probably going to fail. But don't let that discourage you because I can't tell you how many times I have failed with my Iceflow Studios business. So many times I'll, I'll be in the shower, I'll come up with a brilliant idea, I'll you know spend days upon days planning it and making it happen and then guess what it completely sucks because it sounded better in my head so you know but i learned from that i took what didn't work threw it away but i took what did work because in every single plan something is going to work it's not completely going to fail so take the little bits that work out of all your failures put those together and refine that and build on that. And eventually, it might take a few years, but you're going to have something that you're going to be proud of and something that will hopefully be making you quite a bit of money. Yeah,
1: so I can't uh, nothing to add to that. Those are words of wisdom right there. Failure is just a part of the job. Uh, but yeah, like I said before, if you're interested in seeing a wrap-up of the blog, probably somewhat more concise, um, <laughs> I'll have a, sort of a point-by-point over on the website, tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 21. And also make sure you're following the podcast over on soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. Yeah, I memorized it. Easy, easy world to remember. And we're on uh, iTunes and Stitcher, everything like that. Uh, I think this was good. I I, I hope you guys really like this. Let us know in the comments. uh, Comment on it. Tweet at us. Hashtag wegeeks. Um, and let us know what you think about it. I, I, we covered so much, and I feel like there was times when we kind of like totally went off topic, but that's kind of good because, right, it's creative and free and, and flowing. Oh, and the word of the week. I feel like it should be depth. depth I feel like depth like depth came up
0: a lot. Difficult word to produce or to sound to say when you're talking in a microphone. It usually says, it sounds like death. Depth. Very good. Yeah. I hope people have made it this far into the podcast because not just, you know, for our benefit, it really doesn't benefit us at all, but we have delivered so much information and both sides of, you know, you, you come from a very strict freelance background. I started with that and now I'm working for a company. So we kind of have perspectives on both sides of things. And honestly, we could have gone on for another hour or two. Um, and maybe we'll take some of these points. If you guys let us know in the comments or on Twitter, which areas of this podcast you would like to see us focus more on, maybe we'll create another podcast specifically on that. I mean, we have a ton of topics we can cover and we have lots of time to do it.
1: Podcast question of the week. Maybe we should start doing a question of the week. Which topic or topics would you like to see us expand or expound upon? Or do you have like specific questions about different topics that you feel like we completely missed? Let us know in the comments, whether you're on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever, Twitter. Um, and uh, we will definitely take that into consideration and look into doing more of these.
0: We sure will. And we're going to wrap this up before we hit the two hour mark. Who knows if this will even export but that will be it thanks so much for listening guys we will see you uh, next Friday for episode number 22
1: yes take care everyone see ya